Bible reading this morning is Matthew 7, 13 to 29, which can be found on page 971 in the Church Bibles. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognise them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from you, away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears the words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the, re the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus has finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Well, good morning. Uh, good morning, everyone. Thanks so much for not cheering at the news I was leaving. <laughs> it's very gracious of you, at least not to do that out loud. I do love this church, which means I, I love um, the people, I love you and the staff team. Um, so it's very sad for me to be leaving uh, in um, March and May, but I think the time is right for us as a family, and I think actually the time is right for us as a church. Um, we've navigated some difficult um, challenges over the last few years, and I think we're through most of them. Um, so there's an opportunity for us as a church to inject some new and younger blood into the mix. I think that's a really good thing. And uh, I really am looking forward to uh, getting to know the folks at Northbridge and loving and serving them with all my heart, as I have with you. Now, we've got a job to do this morning, so I'm going to pray, and then we'll get underway. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for... Uh, speaking to us through your scriptures, but especially through your son and his words in the Sermon on the Mount. And as Andrew has already prayed, um, give us soft hearts that we might hear. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, it's very common to hear people say things like, it's not a black and white world or something like that. You know, life's just not black and white. And what they usually mean is that things are not as neat as black and white is neat or just not simple enough to separate into just two options, black and white. Things aren't 
just that tidy, which is a shame because I really like neat and tidy. I like black and white. They're two of my favourite colours because they're so neat and tidy. In fact, I wouldn't mind if my whole home looked like the Apple Store, you know, with everything neat and tidy and most things kind of white. It's very crisp and clean and beautiful. Or um, if you've ever seen one of those stationery stores called Kiki K in the shopping centres. I like Kiki K, if you know them. They're Swedish, so automatically they're beautiful, right? And everything is neat and tidy and stylish and colour-coordinated. And I've decided that I would like a Kiki K life. I would like the Kiki K people to come and Kiki K my home so that it looked like that. Because there's too many surfboards, bikes and assorted pieces of musical and, and sporting equipment throughout the place and I just need some Kiki K style. And frankly, I would like to apply that to my son's rooms. But the Kiki K people won't Kiki K my house because life is just not like that, is it? It's, it's not black and white, as people say. And I agree, often it's not a black and white world. There are shades of grey in all sorts of places. But friends, when Jesus talks about following him, about being a disciple, by, about being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, it is a black and white matter. According to Jesus, as he rounds out this imposing, statuesque sermon on the mount, there are no shades of grey. Like in our world, which insists that it's not black and white, Jesus says, actually it is when it comes to following me. Black and white. Our society always says that balance, you know, is the right way forward. You've got to be balanced. Jesus says, mm, I need my disciples to be extreme, extremely humble, extremely gracious and determined, forgiving and prayerful and self-effacing and so on, but extreme nonetheless. He says there's just two ways when it comes to following him. And what an entirely fitting way for him to finish his Sermon on the Mount because the whole time, Jesus has been describing his kingdom as an upside-down kingdom that reverses the patterns of the kingdoms of the world. And the kingdom ethics or lifestyle that, that he described in the Beatitudes at the start of the Sermon on the Mount, you remember, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, and so on, and which he continues to describe throughout the Sermon on the Mount, turn the other cheek, love your enemies, do not store up for yourself treasures in heaven. All those things are just otherworldly. So there's a, the way of the world and there's the way of his kingdom. Of course, he says, there's just two ways, black and white. And actually, we need to understand that and hear it clearly because he's about to go full tilt on what it means to follow him. He's about to say there are no shades of grey. He's about to say... You're all either with me and you follow me and you get life or you don't. There's just two options, he says. There are just two paths. And uh, we, we see that at the very beginning in verse 13 and 14. So let's read that together, Bible's in front of you, where he says, Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. He's talking about gates and roads and he just says there's only two. There's a broad gate, narrow gate. They open up onto different roads that lead ultimately to different destinations. Now I don't know if you've ever been travelling along and you've had one of those moments where you had to make a decision about which way to go, left or right. Uh, and perhaps you weren't even sure which one to take. 
Well, when we lived overseas, we were on holiday in Austria, and we needed to get where we were in West Austria to, um, to the east of Austria. And we were burning uh, down the autobahn at 120 kilometers an hour, watching everyone overtake us. And then we had the option of going left to Brixen, right to Bozen. Left to Brixen, right to Bozen. They both kind of sound similar, both sound nice. We'll go with Bozen to the right. Now, that's a bad choice. Because Bozen is also known as Bolzano and is in Italy. And so we took a turn, a wrong turn, at 120 kilometers an hour into the wrong country. And we eventually get to Bolzano and we think, well, we should turn around and uh, get out of here. But that turn took us right into the town center that looks like this. And so we found ourselves going further and further down into the medieval, no cars allowed, town center at the busiest time of day. And all these Italians were slapping on the windscreen, saying things like, stupido, idioto, but feso. And I would have said, well, at least we made it to the World Cup. But it was about 25 years ago. <laughs> so a different gate opens onto a different road that leads to a different destination. Now, of course, Jesus is not talking about European highways in Matthew 7. He's talking about life paths and life choices. One, and he says there's just two. One has a very wide opening, a broad road with many travellers. It's the path of the world, the path of the crowds, the path of our society, the path of most of our workplaces, I would imagine, possibly even the path of your home and the people who live there with you. Right? It's just regular people going about their business, uh, doing their own thing, not really interested in following Jesus or being part of his upside-down kingdom. It doesn't necessarily involve demon possession or Satan worship or anything like that. And if a broad path of relatively happy people just getting on with their business, albeit without concern for God, sounds quite benign or harmless to you, I just need you to know that Jesus says that path leads to destruction. It's a wide gate, which means it's easy to get through. It's a broad road, which means many are on it. But destruction or spiritual death is where it ends. And Jesus says there's, there's only one other route. You enter through a small gate. Do you remember in John 10, Jesus describes himself as the gate through which you find life by placing your trust in Jesus who lays down his life. And then you travel along a narrow road, but it leads to life. Now it's narrow. That means it's difficult, it's confining rather than spacious. There's not a lot of room. As the great Don Carson says, there's no room for me to set my opinions against the Lord's. There's no room to set my goals at cross purposes to his. There's no room for me to form attachments which vie for the central place in my heart that the Lord Jesus must have. You see, it's confining. It's not, not spacious at all. And few people on it means that it can feel lonely and un unpopular. And I suspect numbers of us could describe that experience in our workplaces this year. You cannot discover this by appealing to the majority opinion because the majority are on another road, the broad, the broad road. And it can't be pursued if we're motivated by a desire to please the mass of humanity. But it leads to life. 
And I guess this is the point of Jesus' little word picture. It's not so much the path in either case, though it's important, but it really is the significance of where the path leads. And the narrow, lonely, confining and difficult path is the road of radical discipleship, not the road of the crowds. It's the road on which people who want to follow Jesus must travel. It's the road into the kingdom of heaven. And though that pans out into something eternal and spectacular and splendid, for now, if you want to follow Jesus on that road, we all need to adjust our expectations so that we expect it to be difficult and lonely and hard and unpopular. And friends, we might need to lift our gaze when it gets difficult and lonely and hard and unpopular to recognise it's the only one that leads to life. Because as it turns out, contrary to what, you know, hashtag you read, it's not the journey that counts after all. It ultimately is the destination that's the most important thing. But that might mean that some of us need to change our expectations so that we just anticipate difficulties ahead, the loneliness of the journey. And some of us might need to lift our gaze for when it gets difficult, or especially if it's difficult right now, to remember that despite the difficulty, this is the path to life. And all of us need to recognise there is no third path. There's no shade of grey, there's no middle ground that somehow still leads to life but is not difficult or unpopular. And friends, I reckon this is the great temptation of our age, probably of every age, right? To think there's a third way, a third path, a third gate, one that is still wide and broad and easy to travel but which still leads to life. That's what we think deep down, I reckon, that you can travel an easy road through this life and reap all the benefits of being a citizen of the world but still lead to an eternal place in the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus could not be clearer, so you need to listen to him today. Two ways, two paths, only one of which leads to life. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 19, which is probably on the same page in your Bible, a man comes up to Jesus and says, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus basically replies, I'm homeless, mate. You're still, still in? Foxes have holes, birds have got nests, the son of man meaning himself. There's no place to lay his head. So yeah, follow me. Very black and white. Very narrow or wide. Destruction, life. And by finishing the Sermon on the Mountain this way, I think he's asking the most pressing question of us. Are you in? Do you want to be? He's just so intense, isn't he? I mean, just imagine being there in the crowd and the atmosphere is electric and you could hear a pin drop and all those cliches. But I reckon you'd be waiting for a joke or an illustration or just something to lighten the mood, but it doesn't come. Straight after Jesus talks about the two paths, he says, you know, there are two types of Christian leaders as well. Um, those whose teaching and lives measure up to Jesus and those who don't, and they will be destroyed. I mean, metaphorically, in verse 17 and 18, he says there's good trees that bear good fruit. There are bad trees which bear bad fruit. There's no third kind of tree that's a good tree, but it bears bad fruit. So don't follow a Christian leader if there's no evidence of gospel fruit in their own lives. 
If you can't see the kinds of attitudes and behaviours that Jesus has been teaching about repeatedly throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And then he says, there are just two kinds of followers. Some who say, Lord, Lord, and might even do miraculous things in Jesus' name, but whom he doesn't know and sends away. And then there are followers whom he does know. And, and Jesus is just making the point that you don't judge Christian leaders, you don't even judge believers by their gifts, but by their obedience to Jesus. He says that's really the essential characteristic of a true follower of Jesus. That's how you know somebody's got a wholehearted faith in Jesus. It's not their loud professions, right? It's not their spectacular spiritual experiences, but simple, wholehearted obedience. Someone very wisely said, the Father's will is not simply admired or discussed or praised or debated. It is to be done. It's to be done. I do want to um, thank you for the privilege, yeah, over eight and a half years of being able to look more closely at the scriptures, to be able to bring them to you on Sundays and in growth groups. It's been um, personally enriching for me, and I have benefited from it immensely. And even in this series of the Sermon on the Mount, I found myself thinking, my goodness, Jesus' words, they're beautiful and they're brilliant. And I don't know how he does it, but he, but he combines compassion and conviction in a way that I find so difficult. So admire him for that. But that's really not the point. And it's not nearly, not even close to being nearly enough. His words are to be practiced. The Father's will is not to be admired, it's not to be discussed or debated. It is to be done. And Jesus reiterates, uh, finally, that his disciples put his words into practice by talking about two kinds of builders who build two kinds of houses. Very familiar picture language to us. The wise builder, like one who builds on rock on solid ground. The foolish man is like one who builds his house on the beach. When the storms come and the winds blow and the streams rise, like we've seen in New South Wales and Victoria this year, one of the houses survives, one of the house crumbles. Now, I don't know, actually I do know, everyone would have seen those photos of lighthouses because you've been in those homeware shops that populate the northern beaches, right? It uh, looks like this. You see a lighthouse in the storm. Raise your hand if you have not seen a photo like this before. You all have. Okay. They're such a striking visual image because there's winds and there's waves and you can't even see the ground, right? But the lighthouse stands strong. And in some photos like this one, you can even see the lighthouse keeper on the dry side of the lighthouse just taking it all in. Great picture of a house built on solid ground. And you contrast that to the houses at Collaroy. I really hope it's not your house, man, because <laughs> this will bring up PTSD. Built right on the edge of the beach, and the images of the backyards and even the swimming pools getting eaten by the waves are equally arresting, aren't they? Now, Jesus paints these pictures of the well-built and not-so-well-built shelters, and then he tells us what they represent. The wise man is the one who hears the words of Jesus and puts them into practice. The wise disciple who does that will withstand the trials of life and will uh, escape or will especially survive the final trial of God's judgment. 
On the other hand, the foolish person is the one who hears the words of Jesus but does not put them into practice. And that person will not withstand the trials of life and will not withstand the final trial of God's judgment. It's very similar to the two paths. One leads to life, one leads to destruction. Now friends, what you've got to understand this morning is that both the wise and the foolish hear Jesus' words. Okay, so hearing Jesus' words is not the point. It's not what makes the difference. The point is what you do with what you hear. And the difference comes from obeying them. Uh, of course, he's not talking about an obedience, like a begrudging one, where we, we, we try to earn favour or merit with God. He's talking about an obedience in which, as disciples who've already been blessed with everything by God, we, we follow him in everything without reservation. You see, the crowds hear Jesus' words, but disciples put them into practice. The crowds can hear Jesus' words with their ears and remain fools, but disciples hear Jesus' words in their hearts and build their lives upon them. They obey them, and only they escape the final judgment. It is a strikingly simple picture that Jesus paints. And the thing that makes a difference is whether you put his words into practice because everyone hears his words. And the thing that distinguishes disciples from the crowds is whether you build your life on Jesus by putting his words into practice. Now as we come to uh, work out what, what does this final slab of teaching from the Sermon on the Mount mean for us today? You can see I think rather clearly that Jesus views these things as black and white. Two roads, one to life, one to destruction. Two houses, one withstands, one crumbles. And I think the great trick of the devil in this area is not to convince you to take the wide road because you really want to be destroyed, but to deceive you into thinking there's that third road that leads to life but without the cost and pain of discipleship. I don't think the devil uh, tempts us to completely ignore or resist Jesus' words, but to sort of sideline them when we come to making those big decisions in our lives. You know, Jesus says of his own words, I want you to make them foundation of your life, but we think, thank you so much. Look, um, I'll keep them in mind. They're right there in the mix, along with a, a whole bunch of other ideas and worldly wisdom. And the truth is that often we don't really keep Jesus' words in mind uh, and we just end up doing what the crowd does. Or we just leave Jesus' words in our mind and we just end up doing the same thing as everyone else because it's easier. It's way less lonely. You know, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been urging us to adopt a kingdom calling, to adopt kingdom dreams. But of course, we prefer the Australian dream. Or the Northern Beaches dream, which is just a pricier, tanned and toned version of the Australian dream. Right? It's the Australian dream and it's most attractive. So appealing, isn't it? Jesus says, take sin seriously. We think, well, it's not that bad. Jesus says, don't store up for yourself treasures um, for yourselves. But we think he, he cannot be talking about our vast wealth. Jesus says, love your enemies. But we think he can't really mean that. Jesus says, don't worry about what you eat and drink and wear, and we spend the better part of our lives obsessed with these things. It's just so easy to be the same as the crowds, which are headed for destruction, and yet bizarrely to think that that is okay. 
I don't know if you um, picked this up when Jenny read the passage for us, but Jesus finishes his Sermon on the Mount with four different references to judgment. Uh, Let's read them. Verse 13, the broad road leads to destruction. See there, verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is thrown into the fire. Or verse 23, I will tell them, away from me, you evildoers. Or even verse 27, the rain came down and the winds blew and the house fell with a great crash. Four different pictures. Four different threats or warnings of judgment. It's very sobering, isn't it? I wonder if you just feel like, um, man, he's being nasty. Is he taking a sort of twisted delight by rubbing it in? But that doesn't sound like Jesus, does it? And so I wonder if part of his point in finishing so strongly with those pressing demands for obedience and the threat of judgment is to drive any of us who might take pride in our moral performance right back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He wants us to finish where he started with a, with a basic humble recognition that we cannot, we do not live up to the standards of God in our own self-righteous and self-reliant strength. Of course, we need God's grace not only to enter the kingdom of heaven, we need God's grace to occupy it every day. Of course we do. But I further wonder whether he finishes with those four threats of judgment because they're not, they're not definitive decisions, at least not yet, but they're entreaties. right? They're invitations to the crowd to come inside the kingdom of heaven as if he's saying to them, are you in? Would you like to be? You might remember that when we started our thorough investigation of the Sermon on the Mount um, a couple of months ago, and actually let's turn in our Bibles to to chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, we noticed there a distinction between the crowds and the disciples. Let me read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up onto a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Right? You see the distinction? You remember that. Now look very closely at what happens when Jesus finishes at the end of chapter 7, verses 28 and 29. The crowds are amazed at his teaching because he taught as one with authority. Now that may not be full-blown faith just yet. They may not have entered the kingdom of heaven just yet. But it is an advance on where they started, don't you reckon? Certainly enough to suggest that Jesus' repeated warnings have drawn them in rather than push them further away. And that might be a step that you need to take this very day, to advance towards Jesus, who is just magnificent, brilliant and beautiful with both conviction and compassion, wanting to hear more from him, even when he talks of warning, for he does have authority. But all of us need not to be tricked into thinking that when it comes to following him, there are just so many shades of grey because he says "Mm, black and white two roads not three you take the easy road with the crowds or you take the difficult and often lonely path of the discipleship and obedience to Jesus that leads to life no third road and there are two builders not three you either put your trust in Jesus' words and put them into practice in your life and you will withstand trial, especially the trial of the final judgment, or you don't. There's no third.
third building. In our world where it's common to say, oh, it's just not black and white, Jesus radically says, yeah, it is. It is when it comes to following me. And so the challenge for us is to go full on and live a radical life of Christian discipleship for the sake of Jesus in manly and beyond and for the sake of your own destiny. And friends, as we finish up what has really been a challenging and confronting time in the Sermon on the Mount, that is our clear kingdom calling. Well, let's finish by praying together. Hey? Heavenly Father, God, forgive us for believing the trick that there is a third road, an easy one that still lives to li- leads to life. There's somehow a third building built on shaky foundations that nevertheless withstands trial. We've heard you clearly this morning, Lord. I ask that you might help us to just adjust our expectations so that we anticipate as your disciples, by faith, difficult and lonely times as we follow you. I ask that you might also lift our gaze so that in preparation for those difficult and lonely times, and especially when we're in them, you remind us that it is the path that leads to life. And I further ask that you would help us to put all of Jesus' words into practice right throughout the New Testament, that we might look more like him day by day and bring him more glory. In Jesus' name, amen.